Thanks for joining me. You're listening to the Semitic Jew podcast. I want to begin a study of the book of Genesis today. We're going to look at the first three verses. Let's begin. Before we turn there, there are two verses in the New Testament that I would like to turn to. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, Yahweh, and profitable for teaching. Now, when we read this verse, we must remember that when this verse was written by the Israelite Paul, the New Testament was not yet compiled. In fact, many of the New Testament books were not even written. So Israelites during Christ's time did not have access to the books we have today. Mostly what was known as scripture in those days was the Old Testament. In connection, this is what Paul had in mind. Many Christians today worship Paul's letters, and some even deify him above other men. But Paul does not contradict Christ, nor is Paul greater than Christ. This in no way excludes the New Testament under that verse, nor the intertestamental period in which the Apocrypha was written. Many Israelites and non-Israelites today have an ignorance of many things in the Old Testament, and yet the Word of God says all Scripture, which means there is no portion of Scripture that is not inspired by God. I remember when I was a youngin myself, 35 now, I felt the need to study God's Word and keep God's commandments. But that was not what I was taught in the Christian church. I grew up without a father, and... I just imagined if my father had wrote a letter to me or if my mother had wrote a letter to me after going on a trip, that if I did not read that letter correctly or if I did not take my time to understand the letter, that I would be disrespecting my mother. So I think we need to show our respect for God by taking his word seriously. All scripture is inspired by God, which means God has given us his word. So we need to take great effort, time, and energy, and even pains to understand what he has revealed in his word. And it's profitable for teaching which is why we need to listen to Israelites and gather amongst other Israelites where we can hear the Bible taught. And it's used for reproof. That means to rebuke. God's word rebukes us and trains us in righteousness, which means we do not become righteous overnight. Like religions teach, you say a prayer, then all is forgiven, and now you're saved. We have to be trained in life situations so that the men and women of God will be adequate, complete, perfect, and equipped to do everything that God wants us to do today. So if we neglect any portion of scripture in that measure, by that logic, then we will be inadequate, imperfect, incomplete, and not fully equipped to do what God has given us to do. 
And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do these Bible studies. Should the Lord, should the Lord tarry. We should go through the scriptures every week. So thoroughly so that we will know the scriptures as God intends us to know them and not in some philosophical, theological, or intellectual way, but rather in the way that God intends us to know them, which is why I mentioned that there was a difference between general revelation and divine revelation. The other verse in Matthew 19 and verse 3, Jesus was speaking to the, uh, to the Pharisees, and they came to test him. In verse three, asking him a question about the law, saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause? And Jesus answered and said, haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And it's for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This verse is from Genesis chapter two, which Jesus quoted. So we can deduce that Jesus had studied Genesis because he knew which verse from Genesis to quote to answer those people. So we can say that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus when we when we study Genesis. Then in verse seven, they said to him, why did Moses command us to give her a writing of divorcement? to put her away. They were quoting Deuteronomy 24, verse one. He replied to them saying, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not this way. Notice that phrase from the beginning, which means way before Moses. That means that God had permitted the Israelites to do something in Moses time. But if you want to know what God's perfect will was and is, then you have to go beyond Moses to Genesis chapter one and two to understand what God's perfect will was for man. So Genesis one and two are very important because there is no sin. Sin had not come yet. And then fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, we read about sin being uh, no longer being there in Revelation 21 and verse 20, excuse me, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. But those are the only chapters in the Bible where sin no longer is or sin had um, does not exist. So essentially, we need to go back and understand Jesus said, From the beginning, it was not this way. In another verse in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was speaking to the Sadducees, they asked a question concerning the resurrection. He replied to them by saying, "Um, you error and do not understand the scriptures, nor the power of God. Brothers and sisters, these are two things we must know. There have there have been various groups within different religious organizations 
Christianity, Judaism, Islam, which teach people about the power of God, but don't emphasize the study of the scriptures. We've also seen those same groups emphasize the intensity or the study of the scriptures, but they lack the the authority and the power of God. But here in Matthew chapter 22, we read Jesus says that if you do not understand the scriptures and the power of God, then you will be mistaken. Notice that word and it's a conjunction. It means both of them. So Jesus says that if you do not understand the scriptures and the power of God, then you will be mistaken. So in order not to be mistaken, we must know the scriptures and we must know the power of God from the scriptures. It's a very important verse in the New Testament. Essentially, that is a balanced Israelite. That is a balanced believer. That is a balanced child of God. You have got to understand both. Someone who understands both will please God and also live a fulfilled life should the Lord tarry. So this is the reason why we must study the word of God. That's just an introduction. So let's turn back to Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God. Notice that the word of God begins with a wonderful phrase. In the beginning, God. To put it in another way, we can say that's like saying we need to put God first in everything, in our home life, in our in our work, in the beginning, God, in our personal life, in the music we listen to, in the beginning, God, in the movies we watch, in the beginning, God, in our eating, our drinking, even in our sexual life, in the beginning, God. And sin is when in the beginning, it's not God. It's something else. That is idolatry. Anything other than in the beginning, God, that is idolatry. In the beginning, God, in every area of our life, raising children, what is the first thing they must be taught? In the beginning, God. We can apply that to many areas of life in general. It also must be noted that the word of God does not try to prove the existence of God. We live in a postmodern era where, according to intellectuals, they they try to make us feel like we need to begin by um, proving the existence of God through the through the skill of logic and uh, reason and all these other things. But the word of God doesn't begin like that. It says, in the beginning, God. I myself fall in, fell into that snare before. And I used to try to use those skills to reason with a best friend of mine who, um, I'll just be candid, he um, took his life some years ago. And, um, you know, it still bothers me, but we need to use the word of God to bring salvation and bring understanding about God and about who we are. Remember I mentioned in the prelude 
we cannot understand the true God by general revelation or general reason. We could arrive at some other God, which is what atheism is. Atheism teaches that you are the God of yourself or that you are the master of your own ship or the, your own fate. Say, for example, logic. Some of them worship logic as if logic is God, but God created logic. God is superior to logic, although we see logic in creation. It isn't through general revelation that we understand God. It is through divine revelation. It is through the spirit. This is one of the reasons the Bible does not attempt to prove the existence of God. It simply begins with the expression in the beginning, God. There is another verse in the Bible which predates Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's found in John 1, 1. John 1, 1 reads like this. In the beginning was the word. Now, this should also be true in our life. In the beginning, the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the first place in in every area of our life. And the word was with God and the word was God. This is relating to a time before Genesis 1-1 and before the creation of the heavens and the earth, way back in eternity past, God existed. And we read, and the word was with God, which means he was another person with God and he was God. This is speaking of his deity from all eternity. And this is something we will discuss later, but this is not proof of the Trinity teaching in the Roman Catholic Church. Do not subscribe to the Trinity at all. It does it does not also indicate creation. And again, as I said, we'll explore that later because we want to just stay in context. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we must note the Bible was written in the Hebrew language. So there is a word for God. That word is El, which means God. It's singular, and there are many other words in the Old Testament which begin or end with the word El. The plural form of El is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, like sheriff or sheriffim. That's the word, and that's the word used here In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Elohim, God. And that term is also used to describe multiple deities or even man. But here it's used essentially to describe the power or the majesty of the one true Elohim. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, there are two words used which we need to remember, which describe God's work. The word create and the word make, and they're not the same. To create means to make out of nothing. There was nothing there, then something was created. 
And this speaks to God's existence before creation, way back in eternity past. God existed. And then God decided to create the heavens and the earth and to make things within the context of the heavens and the earth. To make means to make out of something that was already there. For example, man's body, Adam's body, was not created. It was made out of the dust that was already there. But his ruach, his spirit, was created by God from something that did not exist. So when we understand this, we understand those words we have when we understand the, uh, those words, we have a better picture of what is happening in these verses to come. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This tells us there was nothing then, and then God created. Some call this ex nihilo, which is Latin, and it means out of nothing, something comes. But we saw how in order to have something, it must have been something before which caused creation to spring forth. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 11, about having faith of the substance of things not seen, and also that something that is seen was not made by that which does appear. This verse also some interpret as a summary of the chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as a summary or as an expression to describe the geographical um, eons of time that represent um, each day leading into 1,000 year periods of time for each day of creation. I, in particular, am of a different persuasion. And the reason is, after the expression, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see the word and the earth was without form. So that conjunction and means both. So there is a sequence of time here that is connected to that first expression in the beginning, God. And the earth was without form, meaning it had no shape and void. There were no people or life, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, which means there was no light. So three things, no shape, void, and darkness. There are many things in the earth that bring about this condition upon the children of the Most High as well. Drugs, pornography, laziness lack of studying God's word and applying it, and many, many more. It must be noted here as well, Second Peter 3, 3, 5. 2 Peter 3, 3, 5, verse 5 says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, meaning Christ, the heavens were of old, speaking about creation, and the earth standing out of water, and in water, verse six, and the world that then was, speaking of that, that created order before the flood, perished. It was alluding to Noah's catastrophic flood, which destroyed all life on earth by water. 
And we'll get into more of that as we um, get to Genesis chapter six. You'll be amazed to find that um, every culture on earth has a a um, global flood narrative, which is very, very impressive. So the expression um, in this text right here, um, the word standing literally means consisting of. So the heavens were of old and the earth consisted of water and the expression in the water should be rendered as by means of the water. So God created the heavens first to which we could see basically three applications of this from the scriptures. The first heaven, excuse me, the first heaven where we are, and we'll explore more of this in the coming weeks. The second heaven is where evil spirits and principalities dwell. We read about that in, in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. We read, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then finally, the third heaven where almighty God dwells above the circle of the earth. Second um, Corinthians 12 verse two says, Paul writes, I knew a man in Christ above 14, about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And then also in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it reads, Isaiah speaks of a circle about, about where, about which uh, we'll also get in, get into when we get to day two of creation week and the spirit of God moved upon the waters that were on the earth. It's another beautiful expression. It has the imagery of something like a mother hen brooding over her chicks, which reminds me of this verse in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, um, thou that killeth the prophets and stone them, which are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered you like children gathered together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not this is in this particular passage is both present and past and future the prophets have always suffered persecution on on behalf of their witness and testimony as israelites both to warn the nation the nations of israel and to warn other nations of coming destruction it's not on on behalf of the title of jewishness that we are persecuted. It is through the power and denunciation of the evil we see in the earth that we are the prophets of God. We also see the same picture here of Christ, like the father brooding over creation, brooding over Israel to reshape or to, um, to make and build up Israel, essentially even more so to warn Israel of what will happen if God removes his grace. In this also, we see some imagery of what happens when the Most High overshadows us to reveal his word to us through the spirit. So when we're studying the scriptures, God is brooding over us and imparting his spirit on us as we read, study, and apply his word. 
so yep there there are so many more connections here as well so so we need not understand Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 as if there are some extended period of time between these two verses on account of the conjunction and to simply put it. So the earth was created out of nothing and by God, and this earth had no shape, no light, and no life. Some Christians feel it's superficial to add to the word of God here and say, well, why isn't the earth perfect? Not understanding that the word, not understanding what the word perfection even means, nor how the perfection comes about later as a demonstration to us that the most high works and he wants us to, to understand the importance of work. And we'll get to um, the Sabbath day of rest, which is in connection to this. And like it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. God is patient and God takes his time to do the work that he has set out. God had a plan and he brought that plan to completion. And the same is true for Genesis 1.1 1, 1, um, through verse 3. So finally, God said in verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. So many people misunderstand what light represents, and light has many different applications. Light, um, for example, this is a picture of the commandments of God. The commandments of God bring light to our life, mind, and heart. And like I said, they have so many other applications. In particular, light is a form of energy that allows us to see things. Light can come from natural sources like the sun or artificial sources like lamps or bulbs. It basically illuminates our surroundings and allows us to perceive the color and beauty of the world around us. In the Bible, light can be physical, obviously through the sun. It could be spiritual without understanding of the Bible and also metaphoric by describing the children of Israel, Israelites, Blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans, or the people of God as the children of light. In this connection, light is meant to be divorced from darkness, to draw a distinction between both and part a boundary between the two. Some uh, erroneously conclude that God is not about division, but here, even in verse Three, when God says, let there be light, eventually he will divide the light from darkness. So this is a picture of separation here in the first couple of verses of the Bible. Furthermore, we are called to come out of Babylon and to be separate, says the Lord, and not touch anything that is unclean. And you read about that in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. So we must be careful here because historically, the religions of the earth, Judaism, Christi Christianity, and Islam have used the concept of light and darkness against the Israelites to teach us that black is evil or that dark skin is evil and that white or so-called white or light is good. 
and therefore um, having so-called white skin is considered a blessing. And it's the exact opposite of the scriptures. But like I said, historically, um, we have to be careful how we interpret light because light has connections to physical um, applications such as the sun, art- artificial such as lights and bulbs. And then it also has um, connections to commandments um, and also the children of God being a light. But it does not have any connection when it comes to complexion. Okay. Um, black skin is not evil. The Mormons also teach it. Like I said, Christianity historically taught it, and it still is perpetuated in many uh, circles in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam today. But that's not what's here. That's why we mentioned that those religions are basically false witnesses in the earth. And there's other, there's many other applications to light and darkness in the Bible, but we cannot allow those religions to teach us what the Bible says, nor can we allow them to uh, deceive us. Otherwise, we will be mistaken. And like Jesus said, we need to know the scriptures and we need to know the power of God. So here are some other verses that prove how we must apply light and the meaning of light to our minds and apply these things to everything we do, especially keeping the commandments to the best of our ability. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isaiah 8 verse 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Notice the connection, the law and the testimony, the law and the witnesses of what happened in the, what has happened in the nation of Israel. If they don't speak according to those things, there is no light in them. Esther chapter eight, verse 16 says, the Jews talking about the Israelites, not the Jewish people, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And then furthermore, it also speaks to our inheritance as children of light. Colossians chapter one, verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Lord, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Notice the connection between the saints and light and giving thanks to God on account of our inheritance to come. There are many other passages that describe the most high also as dwelling in unapproachable light. You can see that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. It is also used of Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 32 says that um, he is a, or he is to be a light to the Gentiles. And also us, and also a light is applicable to the Israelites or to us as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Lastly, it is also used of Satan, believe it or not. It says that Satan can transform himself into an angel or a messenger of light. And remember, um, that term angel or messenger can also apply to men as well. So 
We will learn more about this character, Satan, and how the Old Testament Israelites understood, understood who Satan is, as well as how we, how we must understand um, who Satan is and who he and who uh, the serpent was in the Garden of Eden. Nevertheless, I stopped there. I just want to mention this in. Uh, I just want to mention this. This is the first word spoken in the universe. God said, you'll see, or excuse me, the expression God said, you'll see um, used 46 times, I believe, in the Bible, demonstrating that God speaks, which is how um, we speak. Everything, everything good comes from God. And so God gave us the ability to speak, to use his words in contrast to those idols, which are mute, those idols of wood and stone that we read about in Deuteronomy 4, God spoke and said, let the light shine out of the darkness. This is what God wants to do in Israel as well. He wants to restore our identity and bring us back to the commandments of God in order to transform us like he has done here in these few verses. In conclusion, we can say those two things from Gen or excuse me, those two things from Matthew chapter 22 which said that we can be in error when we do not have the when we do not understand the scriptures and the power of God is very very important um as we continue the scriptures or excuse me as we continue to study the scriptures. In the prelude, we discuss general revelation juxtaposed to divine revelation. And now in Matthew 22, we read that God says you need to understand the scriptures and the power of God. You need both. And we also saw how in that connection, you need to keep the commandments of God and Christ. You need both. You cannot have Christ without the commandments and you cannot have the commandments without Christ. If you do, then you are in danger of error. I'll leave you, I'll leave you with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, we read, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, speaking of the beginning of creation and also our restoration um, as children of Israel, I hope you can see that, has shined in our hearts in our understanding, in our mind, in our will to give the light or the commandments, the revelation of God, the divine revelation of the knowledge of the glory of God, his majesty, his awesomeness and his beauty, all of that in the face of Jesus Christ. So with that said, brothers and sisters, let us hold fast to the word of God and continue following in the footsteps of Christ as the children of the Most High. Thanks for listening to the Semitic Jew podcast. We looked at a few passages in the New Testament, which tells us to go back to the beginning to learn the history of creation. In fact, we are commanded to do so as respectful children of the Most High. Then finally, we examined some treasures hidden in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. I hope the message edified your heart in some way. 
In the next episode, we will continue our study by looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Tune in next week, Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Shalom.